Well, well, well. Y'all ready to have some fun? Uh, y'all is a southern thing. It's an actual a grammatical a contraction that is of dubious importance and value. So if I say y'all, I've joked I'm going to have a y'all, like a swear jar, but for y'all. And we'll start giving money towards uh, one of the local missions. Kids are uh, able to be dismissed now. So if you are a child in this room, you're about to go have a way more fun than you would have in here. So go do that. Have fun. Learn something and tell us what you learn. That's an exciting thing. If you're a guest with us today, um, I'm a guest as well, but uh, no more after today. If you're a guest, we have uh, these cards. Uh, it's real simple, easy information right on that back table. And uh, what we want to do uh, with a card like this is get to know you. Uh, we uh, are not extracting information, but we are inviting you into a community. And so a church is nothing less than a community uh, and nothing less than a family. And so uh, this is our way to do that. We have, as Ben would say, a sanctifying mug for you. If you would turn this card in today, uh, there's a little wire basket on that back table. You drop that in there. You will get one of these mugs. You will feel uh, 30% holier, as I believe the line. Um, I would say you'd feel 100% cooler. And since I brought this one next week, since today is my first Sunday up here, uh, I will have that one and we can all be friends. So um, that's there for you. What uh, we're going to do, I believe this is where uh, the sermon shows up. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm excited to be here. I'm humbled. Uh, to be part of this community, and uh, Terrence is right, God's fingerprints are all over uh, every single step of this journey. Uh, when my wife and I sort of started praying about what it would mean to open our lives up to uh, maybe a new chapter, uh, we had bounced around the idea uh, in 2015, and is this right for us, is this not? And in January of 2016, uh, we sat down together, and we'd been praying for overwhelming opportunity. That's all we prayed for. So for a few weeks, we'd just been praying the same prayer, and I said, I think, I think it's not where we are, I think it's somewhere else. And so the beauty of the journey, which I'm sure we'll expand on later, um, is that we came to a place where uh, she found a job posting for a church in Bowling Green, Ohio. She happened to know all about the place because one of her best friends in college was from here. And as the story goes, uh, I put one resume out. Um, I said, God, if this is the opportunity, then here we will go. And six months later, uh, here we are, and I could not be happier to be with you, to be a part of you, and to serve you. Uh, that is my job, is to come and serve a community like this. And so um, when you have needs, uh, this is what we do together. Um, my wife, yes, Steph, and my girls, they'll be here tomorrow afternoon. I'm very excited about that. I am not whole at this moment, and uh, I am not my best self without them. I laughed. I said I, I shouldn't spend too much time up here today because without her, uh, you might just realize I'm not as likable as you thought. Uh, Ken last week did a great job speaking on hope. Uh, Ken brought the sermon and uh, spoke on hope and asked a question of us. He said, what is hope? What is hope? And the definition he gave, I really liked. He said, it's a confident expectation of good to come from the hand of our heavenly father. Ken said it was a future-oriented thing, and it is rooted in who God is and who he calls us. And so we're going to jump from that spot today, and we're going to look at resurrecting hope in our own lives we're going to ask the question, where is hope, who is hope, and then how to see it actually resurrected within us. Because my contention would be that while on the surface, we are often a people who say we have a hope that deep down many of us live really dry, hopeless lives. And so today we can change that and we'll do it together. So if you would, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You never let us down. You don't run from us, you run to us. And in our greatest hour of need, you sent your son to rescue us. And so, Father, we are humbled in your presence. We're humbled in uh, 
the shadow of your word. So, Father, as we read of Scripture, as we read of the word and we read of you and your goodness, my prayer is that it would sink in deeply, that it would not simply be something we know, but it would be something we would become. And so, Father, give us grace even today to know you better and live you out in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. If you, would, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Ezekiel uh, chapter 37. I believe we'll be putting it on the screens as well. And so we're going to read Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. And I will start and you can follow along. It says this, the hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover your skin and put breath in you. You shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. What you need to know and understand as we look at this passage is Ezekiel is a prophet in Babylon. Ezekiel is a prophet in the land of exile for Israelites. And the Israelites had been given everything. They'd been given everything and they turned away from God. And in turning away from God, they then lost it all. And in losing everything, they were then invaded and taken by the Babylonians. And so at the moment that Ezekiel is uh, prophesying to these bones, they have no future. They have no future and they have no hope. And so God chooses to give them a picture through Ezekiel of a new hope. And so what we see here is the necessity of hope because what we see in the people in the bones is they've been cut off. Verse 11 says, we see lost hope, bones are dry, the hope is gone, they've been cut off. And I think that phrase cut off is really important for us to see. In the uh, Old Testament, cut off has a, a certain meaning. We see it as simply a kind of a break in a relationship. It's so much greater than that. At the covenant uh, at Mount Sinai, God says, if you obey me, I will bless you. And if you disobey me, I will cut you off. The, to be cut off is a curse upon a people who have turned from God. It's a curse to be cut off from God himself. And so therefore, to be cut off is to be cut off from hope. And if you're 
only hope is God, and you've been cut off from that, then you've been cut off from a future altogether. As an exiled people, this is nothing new. And so for you and I, this should actually resonate with us. Because you and I were born cut off. Right in the Garden of, of Eden, Adam and Eve disobey God. They disobey God, and then they're then cut off. God says because sin has entered in, they have to leave because it cannot exist in his perfect, perfect garden. And so as they're ushered out and death has come upon them, he actually sets up a flaming sword at the gate of the garden. They've been cut off. And that curse is then passed down to us. And so exiled, you and I are born into this exile, born into this cut off status. You and I have been exiled out of paradise and exiled out of life in the garden into a world where death is a pervasive reality. Have you watched the news lately? shouldn't surprise us. We've been born into a world where death is the only certainty. It is our pervasive reality. And so in this world, hope can be hard to come by. Viktor Frankl lived exiled in a place where hope was most impossible to come by. He lived in Auschwitz, in Dachau. He was a doctor in a concentration camp, a Jewish man. And in his memoirs and his writings, he would say he watched so many of his brothers and sisters, his countrymen. He watched so many of his friends and neighbors show up at the concentration camp as hopeless souls simply giving up. As a doctor, he was as much a social scientist as he was a medical doctor. And he watched as someone into kind of rabid survival mode. They'd steal from others. They'd beat others to take their food. They were hell-bent on survival. He watched as others simply withered, curled up, and would die quickly upon arriving at the camp. He said there was a third group, though. There was a third group that had some fundamental difference about them. They neither went into survival mode nor uh, simply gave up and died. In the middle, they were surviving and even thriving. And he says, as he looked through it, as he, as he tried to figure out what was so different about this third group, he realized the difference was hope. That hope was essential. And hope was what they had that the others lacked. You see, they lived, he observed, for some greater meaning. Something greater than those other groups. And they lived for something that suffering and death couldn't take away. Think about it. If you were in this place, if you live for money, if you live for family, if you live for status, if you live for, I was a shop owner, I was a husband. I, when you arrive on a cattle car, they shave your head, they put you in rags, and your only certainty is you will die. And he says, if your life was built on anything temporal, on your wealth, on your status, on your circumstance before you got there, hope was lost. You were doomed because death was going to certainly steal it. And yet there was this group of people who lived for something greater, who lived for something larger, and they had a greater meaning in their life, and it was something that death couldn't steal. And so what Frankel saw, the same thing we see, is that hope is the engine of life. And how you live today is completely determined by your believed-in reality. How you live today is determined by your believed-in reality. So if you believe that good things are, are coming, if you believe that God is working for your good, if you believe that Jesus died for us to set us free, you live differently than if you don't. How you live is completely determined by your believed in future. The word hope is used 80 times in the New Testament. 
And Ken was right when he said, what is hope? In English, in our modern Western English, hope is uncertainty with optimism. Such as, um, I hope this test goes well. I hope my relationship fixes itself. I hope I get that promotion. I'm uncertain. I'm optimistic. But that's all I have. That's our definition of hope, but that's not a biblical definition of hope. The biblical definition of hope is a life-shaping certainty. It's something that hasn't happened, but you know will. So the Israelites have lost all hope. They've been cut off, and we live like that all too often. And so if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know if I'm particularly hopeful. A, way to go. That's pretty honest. B, it's possible that we've just been dulled as a people. That we focused on other things and our hope simply needs renewing. Because if we're honest, no matter how we look on the outside, if we're honest, a lot of us are dry bones on the inside. We are dry bones. And on the outside, we put on a brave face and we want to show the world that we got it all together. And we want to seem like we're happy with where we are because, after all, that's some social currency. If if people think we're doing all right, significance grows. And yet, I know from my own life that so often I sit in chairs just like these thinking my bones are so dry. Why? Because circumstances drive our days. Consider it this way. If you have a good day at work, you come home and you are hopeful. If you have a bad day at work, you come home and you go, oh, I have to do that again tomorrow. It's simple circumstances. If your relationship is on solid ground, you're hopeful about the state of the world. If your relationship is shaky, then any little thing creates a greater fissure. On your worst day, are you hopeful? And if your hope is in anything less than an eternal God working for good, how could you ever be hopeful? Our hope is in like shifting sand. Our hope is like blown in the wind if it's on anything less than something eternal. This is a church that has been around for a while. This is a community that has walked through some difficult things together. In those difficult moments, if your hope is built on the loved one lost, on the relationship broken, on the tragedy come too close to home, hope is lost. And yet if hope is built on something greater, while deep, profound sadness may come, hope never leaves the building. So where is your hope today? In your honest heart, if you had to answer the question, where is your hope? Your wealth, your status, your job, your relationship? Is it in a circumstance? If you had, where is your hope? And how do we find it? See, I actually think hope is so near to us, which is why we have this consistent sense within us. I think God has placed it in us to know that it is never far away. God tells Ezekiel, To preach to the bones. I think the answer to where is hope is to hear the word. Where is hope? Hear the word. He tells Ezekiel, preach to the bones. Hear the word of the Lord, it says in verse 4. So are you dry today? Are you secretly, would you admit to be a little less hopeful than you used to be? Would you admit to being in a spiritual desert? Would you admit to being hopeless even sometimes? What Ezekiel 37 says is, hear the word of the Lord, which in our context in the new covenant would say, remember the gospel. If it was a practice of the modern believer to remember the gospel daily, 
to start every day with the remembrance of who we are and who God says we are through the person of Jesus Christ, if we remembered every day that we were lost and we're now found, I think it would change the way we see the world. See, we have been taken from death to life, right? That's something we know in our heads. It's, a, it's a something we acknowledge. Death to life, okay. No, but the gospel says it. Every day, if you think it through, the gospel says you were dead. You were dead in your sins. Verse 9 says, breathe into the slain that they might live. We are those slain. We are the dry bones without life. And it requires the breath of God to bring life to us. We were dead people, dry bones, needing rebirth. 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4 says, In God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. What other things in this world do we have that are imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? It says we're born again. God's mercy has given us this rebirth. This is Ezekiel 37 brought forward. It's a picture of rebirth, and we've been born into what is now a living hope. If you struggle with the concept, that's no big deal. Nicodemus struggled with it. In John 3, Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? What is that about? He was a Pharisee. He was a lawkeeper. He was in the ruling council. And yet Jesus was telling him he needed more than being good or living right. He needed to be born again, born of the Spirit. He goes, ah, I just don't, I don't get that. That's where Jesus speaks the words, whoever believes in me should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 is Jesus explaining to someone going, what do you mean born again? And Jesus goes, when you believe, you've gained something imperishable, unfading, and undefiled. Eternal life. And so believing is then our spiritual resurrection. It is our rebirth and it is our new hope. It can't perish, spoil, or fade. We have a new unthinkable status. All of this drives back to our identity. Where do you base your identity? I am blank. So many of us complete that sentence by I am a good mom. I am a business owner. I am a son. I am a daughter. I am a pastor. And the word of God would say that is not your identity. That's a sub-identity. You are bought with a price. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if I am blank is filled with anything less than that, you are selling yourself short, and you are robbing yourself of the hope that God intends to give. To believe requires that we see ourselves as dry bones, though. It requires a self-awareness and a humility to say, I am that. We're not sick. We are born dead. There is no rehab plan for bones. There is no prescription for death. Ephesians 2 says we are literally dead in our sins. So there is not a preacher, not a political victory that can save us. Hope in something that death cannot steal. Let me read Isaiah 53. I'm not going to put it on the screens. I want you to actually hear it in your heart. As the prophet Isaiah talks about this coming Savior the one who would restore our hope and restore our lives. He says, for, speaking of Jesus, for he grew up like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form, this Jesus, no majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of the people. They made a grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. And although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he was put to grief. And his soul makes an offering for guilt. And we shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the Lord, the will of the Lord, shall prosper in his hand. It says, because he poured out his soul to death. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the great transgressors. That is the story of our Savior come to take our pain. This is not simply an eternity story. It's a now story. Because a lot of us go, okay, well, that's great for Jesus, but that doesn't fix my problem today. And the reality is God is in the business of today just as much as he's in the business of eternity. But the same hope must be applied. Jesus was cut off, accursed by God, so that you and I would know life that we would know hope, that we would know a future. Jesus was cut off so that we might be grafted in. That's the beauty of that language. You hear that in the New Testament that Paul says they're grafting into the body. In order for us to be grafted in, Jesus had to be cut off. Jesus was given to death so that we might know true life. Jesus took on the grave so that ours might be opened. Biblical hope is not rooted in the idea that we can get better or that things can get better. The basis of biblical hope is not that Jesus makes bad people good, but that he makes dead people alive. And if we hold that closely, daily, it will change our every interaction. This is our hope. It is unshakable and unconquerable. No death can steal life in Jesus. It is the resurrection of our hope. And so whatever burden you carry today, because every single person in this community is in a battle. If you look to your left and your right, you will see someone in a battle. And some have a season that they are blessed and their battle is small. And yet others in here are in a season where their battle is great and their pain is acute. And for most people, my guess is that they hold it privately and personally and no one even knows. The hope for today in the resurrected Jesus is that the pain you hold, that the scars you carry, that the trial that you are now bearing in silence, that God is in the redemption business still. And the same way we lay our lives down at his feet, we can lay our trials at his feet, we can lay our pain at his feet, and we can say, God, only you endure. More than that, we don't have a, a Savior that doesn't understand. 
he was acquainted with suffering, acquainted with sorrow, acquainted with the shame that was placed on him because of us. I may not understand your pain. Your neighbor may not understand your pain. Your spouse may not understand your pain. But your Savior has lived it and understands your pain. None are beyond redemption. No hope, uh, no circumstances beyond hope. Jesus has literally taken us and God through the Holy Spirit has breathed into our lungs, breathed life into our beings. It is the picture of Ezekiel 37 that we dry bones were picked up and the Spirit of God was blown into our beings. The word for spirit and breath is the same in the scripture. It is his breath in our lungs. It is his spirit that causes these dead bones to sing of new life. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I've said that how you live is completely determined by your beliefs. Are you hopeful today? And if you're not, what is it that you stopped believing somewhere along the way about your future? What is your hope for tomorrow? In a few moments, we're going to take communion, which is a beautiful opportunity on a weekly basis to remember. To remember who it is that God says we are. To remember what it took for us to become that. That Jesus, in a symbolic form that we remember, Jesus, in a very real way, laid down his flesh and spilled his blood, that we might know a new day. And so my prayer for us as a community, as Amanda says, it's a new season and a new day, there's a new chapter. My prayer is that it would be a personal chapter for each of us. That we would be a people that would be rooted in the gospel deeply and daily. So much so that we cannot escape the hope that breathes through it, and then this community at large cannot escape the hope that overflows in us as a people. So that many might know his name, so they might be made known to the person Jesus. And as we make him known, might we grow in hope as we see in the testimony of others, in the testimony of lives changed, of trafficking survivors made free, of International students given hope in a family. Of people ministering to neighbors and friends. Of, of people reaching out in community. Should we see in every single picture of that, the redemptive work of Christ on the cross for us, that it was one sacrifice that gave us hope. And so as we live this life of sacrifice, might it remind us daily that our hope is so much greater. May we pour out our lives in praise. May we live out our days as a people that are unmistakably hopeful. So much so that the world around you and me says, what is it that they have? In Jesus, we are saved and he isn't done yet. Because while scripture says all the earth will one day shout his praise, we can remember every day, we can remember today as believers that we are already victorious. And as we live that out, the world is forever changed. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you, you have made a way. You have given us uh, more than we could have hoped for. And yet in it we have true hope. We have grace beyond our wildest imagination. We have mercy new every day. 
So, Father, as a community, may we be a people who are not slowed by circumstances, who are not distracted by the situations of our daily life, but rather we have eyes set on things above. And Father, we recognize that you have made a way and we walk that way triumphantly in victory. We walk that way in a way that is so unmistakably hopeful that as we sacrificially go out of our way to help neighbors and friends, to help strangers, to help those who don't believe what we believe, with the simple sacrifice of a life to serve another. Father, may that be a testimony to you. May it be glory to you, an incense that rises up. Father, may you favor this community and bless us. Bless us and bring us close to you. We might know you intimately and truly that we would live out our real lives on display, broken and vulnerable at times, and yet always with the hope that we are made whole in you. So God, thank you for a day like today. Thank you for a chance to remember, to reconnect and rediscover your goodness and your grace. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to uh, take communion, which is, as I said, simple remembrance. If you are a believer, you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, and that's for you. If you are not a believer or you are not a follower of Jesus, you are still skeptical, you still have questions, this is the right place to be. There is no pressure to take. There will be no funny looks if someone doesn't get up. The best place to be with questions is here. And when you make that choice to follow Jesus, these tables will be out every Sunday and you will not miss a thing. But as believers... As a family, we take, we partake in a communion, an eternal community between us and God, that because Jesus gave his flesh, we take the bread and we remember that he gave his body for us, and because Jesus spilled his blood so that you and I might know freedom in an eternal sense, we dip the bread, we remember, and as we take, we thank God that he calls us his children. Amen.